Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it is It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart, uh, about a a little thing we like to call the crumbles, which is uh, more or less the state of affairs we're all living in right now. You know, hottest year on record, you know, unprecedented wildfires, smoke blanketing half the country, all that good jazz. Uh, It gets one in the mood for stories and not necessarily, you know, happy stories, uh, but not necessarily sad ones either. You know, this is normally a daily news podcast focused on collapse and things falling apart. But here at Cool Zone Media, a lot of us are big fans of uh, of, of fiction, particularly speculative science fiction, often with a, a dystopian bent to it. Uh, I've written a book in that theme. And then Margaret Kiljoy, uh, host of Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, um, and one of one of our favorite people is a, an author of numerous short stories, novels, novellas, um, all focusing on kind of at least elements of a uh, of of the the feeling of of collapse. And so, Margaret, you know, you came to us a while ago and were like, you know, it'd be neat is starting a a literary magazine that's focused on the same kind of stuff that we cover from a news basis in our daily show because. Basically, fiction is has collapsed as a way for people to make a living, but but somehow <laughs> we have not. So we we're we're trying to sneak our way into paying people for writing fiction, and that'll work as long as you people listen. Margaret, that's that's what I got for an intro. How was how was that? Is that what you you hoped for? Yeah, prayed for. No, that's good. That uh, that puts it more clearly than I would. Um, that's good. We're taking over Sundays 
because there really wasn't anything to take over because there wasn't anything. No, we, we weren't doing Sunday. any Sunday content. Yeah, that's right. Now it's no. really a daily show, bitches. Yeah, because no one, there is no, no one goes to church anymore, but we suddenly still have Sunday free. And so we figured we can just yeah. sneak into Sundays. <laughs> yeah. Are we saying that this is, this is church for you now that we are your God? Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. This story does have things that are like gods in it. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing that we're going <laughs> to do, the first several episodes are going to be one of my novellas. The The general format is going to be that I'm going to have authors on to read me stories, but I thought that I would start with one of my own and bring Robert on to read Robert a story. I love stories. The first story that we're going to read is a novella that I wrote called The Lamb Will Slaughter the Lion. It was originally published by Tor.com, and you can read it in paper form if you want, or you can listen to it here. Margaret, what separates legally a novel from a novella? It's a length thing. It's a... Okay. Novellas are short novels. It goes flash fiction, short story novelette novella novel and honestly usually people just use the word counts of various um awards in order to determine the categorization of these things that makes sense and from that point of view oh i don't have it in front of me but i think a novella starts at about seventeen thousand words and runs up to about forty thousand words and then novel takes over and this is at least i think for the hugo awards um which this is not a winner of but it is the categorization that, that people use. I like writing yeah. novellas. I write short by default anyway, and I don't know whether it's undiagnosed ADHD or what. I, I like think it's shorts. it's just a matter of uh, of skill because, and here's the, here's the thing mm-hmm. a lot of people who aren't in the biz may know, it's harder to write good short fiction than good long fiction. Uh, yeah. At least that's my that's opinion. Uh, as like, It's the same reason why one of the things that was neat for a while about Twitter, it hasn't been this way for a minute, but back when there was an actual cap on how much you could post, there was a degree to which one of the reasons writers liked it a lot, especially joke writers, is it kind of forced brevity. And like, brevity is the soul of wit, you know? That, yeah. that, that That's a thing. I don't know. I, I, I It's silly to actually say like that short novels are harder than long novels. But as a general rule, I think, the most impactful fiction I read tends to be short fiction, even though I prefer long fiction because it gives me something to do with my time. But yeah. like when I think about stuff that's like hit me like in the gut real hard, it's usually been short fiction. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I remember in high school, someone told me the like cliche that every novelist is a failed short story writer and every short story writer is a yeah. failed poet. Yeah. And so I guess by that standards, I'm a failed poet, but don't worry, I'm not subjecting you to that. (laughs) I'm only subjecting you to my fiction. That's right. That's right. I will subject you guys to my poetry one of these days, but uh, no, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a joke there. I was thinking, I was was, was figuring one, but it turns out I don't have one. So let's let's just do the story. All right. So... This book is called The Lamb Will Slaughter the Lion. It's the first book in the Danielle Kane series, which currently only has two books in it, but we'll see about me trying to solve that. Chapter one. Sometimes you have to pull a knife 
It's not a good thing. I don't enjoy it. But sometimes you've just got to get a knife in your hands and make it clear which way the stabby end is pointing. Let me out here, I'd said, before the knife got involved. It hadn't been a question. Men always assume that declarative statements like that are questions. This is a ghost town, he said. I hadn't caught his name. He'd been nice enough to pick me up hitchhiking in middle of nowhere, Iowa, but he wasn't nice enough to let me out where I wanted. That's all right, I said. Just let me out. There'll be someplace better, uh, a Walmart or something. I'll let you out there. Let me out here. I can't just let you out in the middle of nowhere, not by yourself. It isn't safe. He said it without a trace of irony. He locked the doors. That's when the knife got involved. I slid it out from my jeans pocket, clicked it open. Pulling a knife means going double or nothing. I was either going to get out of the situation or the situation was about to get a lot worse. Jesus, he said. He pulled over. I unlocked my door, grabbed my pack, and hit the gravel before he came to a complete stop. Fucking bitch. I flipped off his car as he drove away, but at least he was driving away. The worst of it was, he'd probably thought he was just taking care of me, that he was a nice guy. I hoped bad things were going to happen to him, and soon. Ten years of putting up with shit like that from drivers, it was getting old. Hell, at 28, I was getting old. Ten years ago, I'd talk to drivers about anything and love them for it. I loved the nice ones for their kindness, I loved the crazies for their stories, and sure, I hated the racist pieces of shit, but if nothing else, I got to feel like I had the pulse of this racist piece of shit country. But a decade is an awful long time, and whatever shine I'd found on the shit that is hitchhiking had long since faded. Still, it got me where I wanted to go. The town's welcome sign had been painted over. Don't know what it used to say, but now, in clean, stenciled letters, it said, Freedom, Iowa, City Limits, Unincorporated. An entire town, abandoned by a dead economy and occupied by squatters and activists and anarchists. It was the last place Clay had lived, the last place he'd spent much time before he'd found his way west and his hand had shown his razor the way to his throat. No warning signs, no cries for help. I had a lot of questions. If there were answers, I might find them in Freedom, Iowa. I shouldered my pack and clipped the waist belt shut. It had been Clay's pack. I had his suicide note folded up in the smallest pocket. The road into town was two lanes that led away from the highway, paved with pale, patched asphalt. The trees beside it climbed toward the sky, and I walked on the double yellow with something of a spring to my step. After a hundred yards and a couple turns, when the trees were getting thick enough to cast the whole of the road into shadow, I saw a deer on the shoulder ahead, rooting at something on the pavement. The beast was crimson red, blood red. I didn't even know deer came in that color. I crossed to the far side of the street so I wouldn't disturb him, but I couldn't help staring. A rabbit was dead on the ground beneath him, its belly up, its ribcage splayed open. The deer looked up at me then, his red muzzle dripping red blood. On the right side of his head, he bore an antler. On the left side of his head, he bore two. Jesus, I said. I kept walking, because what else do you do? He watched me until I was around the next bend, and I couldn't help feeling his gaze on my back. The only sounds in the air were birds and the faint white noise of a nearby river, and wildflowers were in bloom on the forest floor. Another quarter mile, and I stepped out of the woods and saw the town on the far bank of a small, slow-moving river. Half a hundred houses were set into the hillside, 
along a single winding street. A few old cars were parked along the curb and in driveways, but I couldn't get a gauge on whether they were in use or abandoned. A two-lane bridge spanned the river. Clay had talked about the place like it was paradise. I crossed over, pausing to look down over the guardrail at the water 30 feet below as it tumbled and tore its way over river rock. Just at the other end of the bridge, a boarded-up gas station was covered in street art as good as any I'd seen in Oakland. It was a quarter mile farther up the hill to the first houses, and most were overgrown, more than a few with caved-in roofs. Others looked haphazardly maintained. I walked into town, but I didn't see any signs of life. No smoke or lights or motion. No one was out on the street or sitting on their porches. Maybe everyone had left when Clay had. Maybe the water was poisoned the same as it seemed to be in half of Middle America, and seeing shit like that fucked-up mutated deer with three antlers made everyone realize it wasn't safe to stick around. The first five or six houses I passed were split levels set into the hill. Welded rebar statues populated one front lawn, a three-antler deer amongst other woodland and farmyard animals. Even the statue seemed to bore into me with its stare, and the damn thing didn't even have eyes. The next house, alone on its block, was an old colonial. It was handsome, its wood siding painted dark. Its circular attic window was an eye casting its longing gaze out over the river and Iowa. I walked up the cement steps to a large wooden patio on the side of the house and peered in through the sliding door, but it was darker inside than outside, and I only saw my own straggly short hair reflected in a silhouette in the glass. I sat down on the porch chair and leaned back to ponder the empty town and my lack of luck. I had no idea how to find what I wanted to find. I'd come here because I needed motion. Without motion, there was nothing. Without motion, I was probably as dead as clay. I kicked back in the chair, put my feet up on the table, and looked out over the town. I'd make it my kingdom for the day I decided and hit the road again tomorrow. I had canned food enough to see me through at least three meals, and if I got desperate, I had a jar of peanut butter somewhere in my bag that would keep me alive for days. I took out my phone and headphones, put on black metal, and dozed off. I like the tiny little dreams I get when I sleep in the afternoon. That day, I was a very young goblin, riding this brontosaurus-like thing, and I was in love with a human boy, and I was afraid he'd find out I was a goblin. When I'm awake, I'm happy sometimes, but I don't know that I'm ever as happy awake as I am when I'm dreaming. Awake, I've got all this nostalgia, this feeling that I'm separated from something I can smell but can't touch. I get these sudden, unbearable realizations that I should have been more present during all those moments in my life, that I should have taken the time to be like, oh shit, man, this is my life, and it's fucking awesome sometimes. Dreaming, I just swim in the joy and the intensity and the nowness of life. Late in the afternoon, I heard rustling and opened my eyes halfway. On the railing in front of me, a rabbit cleaned its paws. I watched it, drowsy. It turned toward me, and its chest was a raw, red wound, its ribcage and organs gone. It smelled like death and blood, and I don't usually smell much in my dreams. It hopped away, and I presumed it a nightmare and fell back asleep. Get your feet off the table. What? I asked, startled awake, ripping out my earbuds. Can't have dirty boots on the table, he said.
I got my feet back on the porch and turned around. A gangly, handsome fellow was looking at me with a brown fist on his hip and a weird sort of smile hovering on his face. His septum was pierced. One side of his head was shaved, the rest of his hair was thick black curls. His short dress was clean, faded black, stitched up in a few places with dental floss. He was heavily tattooed, mostly black work. Behind him, the sliding glass door was open. Obviously, I hadn't heard him walk out. And who are you? he asked. Danielle, I said. He was looking me over, his head cocked to the side, trying to make up his mind about something. I, uh, I didn't know anyone lived here, I told him. Well, he said, someone does. There's at least four or five spots left if you want your own place. More than that, too, if you know how to patch a roof. He stared at me as I tried to process this information. Oh, you're new. Like, new, new. Like, don't know anything new. I just got here, I said. I was thinking maybe there wasn't anyone left. I'm Vulture, he said. What pronouns do you prefer? She, I said. I use he, he told me. I nodded. Well, Danielle, I came outside because there was a strange woman sleeping on her porch. Everyone else, they're inside, wondering who the hell you are. He started drumming his fingers on his chin. Wait, what's your last name? Kane. It wasn't my legal name, but it was my punk name. You're Danny Kane. His whole body loosened up and a smile exploded across his face. I'd rather Danielle than Danny, I said. I hadn't let anyone but Clay call me Danny in years. Clay talked about you, I don't know, maybe every day? Come inside, eat with us, welcome to town. There's a kind of hospitality found amongst squatters and punks that I'll never stop appreciating. When there's not enough to go around, that's when people share. As far as I can tell, it's part of why us poor get taken advantage of so much. So I met a tattooed man in a ghost town, and I followed him into his house, because he knew someone I knew. Sure, I had to give it some thought but it felt a hell of a lot safer than getting in a car with a stranger. Outside, the house was rustic and kind of pretty. Inside, it was astounding. I've spent plenty of times in squats in the U.S., and I thought I knew what to expect. Most squats, they range from people who honest to God piss in the fucking corner to kind of normal but pretty messy to artists obviously live here, Jesus Christ, why is there a life-size hippo made from styrofoam in the living room? But that house was something else. It was clean, for one thing. <laughs> and every wall was painted gray, black, or copper. Every fixture was gold or copper, even if half of them were spray-painted that way. Mirrors were everywhere, letting daylight reach into the corners of the house. While two full-size couches sat empty, the three people in the living room were crammed onto a love seat, lounging atop one another in the way that punks and puppies do. A man and a woman sat next to one another while another woman lay across them, tattooing the back of the man's neck by hand with needle, thread, and ink. "'May I present to you Danielle,' Vulture said, grandly gesturing. "'The Danny Kane. Danielle now, though. Just walked into town for her very first time.' "'Well, damn,' the tattoo recipient said. "'Miss Kane herself.' "'That's Thursday and Doomsday sitting down proper,' Vulture said by way of introductions. "'We call them the days.' Freedom Iowa's only power couple. Come on, do the thing. He clapped his hands, giddy. I don't want to, the woman said. We gotta do it, the man said. He wrangled his arms free from underneath the tattooist, then held out his fists, hands together. He had the word Thursday tattooed on his knuckles, black against his brown skin. 
The woman sighed, then held out her pale hands, palms down. In the same font as Thursday's tattoo, but clearly more faded, was the word doomsday. And this is Bryn, Vulture said. Bryn, the tattooist, looked up at me with pale gray eyes. An inch-thick black line was tattooed from the bangs of her hairline to the bridge of her nose, which, where it met her glasses, formed a hypnotizing geometry. She had the same military-style belt I did, the same extendable baton worn in its holster on one side and pepper spray on the other that I did. Both weapons are better than a knife for self-defense. Knives are only good for threatening, not for fighting. Pepper spray can actually disable someone. Baton can beat someone near to death without cutting them. Her eyes met. I try not to read too much into things like that, but her eyes met. After a brief moment, she went back to tattooing Thursday. So what brings you to this shitty little corner of the world, Bryn asked, without diverting her attention from her work. It's not shitty, Thursday said. Don't talk, your neck moves when you talk. It's kind of shitty, Doomsday said. By the look on his face, not talking was probably one of Thursday's least favorite things. All done, Bryn announced. She put the needle down next to the vial of ink on a rag on the coffee table and turned Thursday around so everyone could see. On the back of his neck was a stylized deer's head, three antlers sprouting from its crown and running up towards his hairline. I was about to ask about it, but a sudden fear shut my mouth. There was something more to freedom than I knew, and as much as I wanted to feel right at home, I didn't. Vulture complimented Bryn on her work and Thursday on his taste, then took a photo of the tattoo with his phone. Vulture, you want to help me get started on dinner? Bryn asked. Thursday started clearing up the tattoo equipment. As soon as I find the right filter and post this. I can help, I said. I like cooking. So I followed Bryn to the kitchen to start dinner, happy to see if making food could get my mind off the worries that raced through me. Vulture straggled behind us, tapping and swiping at his phone. You definitely don't have to help cook, Bryn said. I'd enjoy it, I said. I loved cooking for groups, hated cooking for myself. If it's just me, I'll eat fucking protein bars for dinner. Bryn turned on the lights, a series of bright LEDs wired into a wooden strip screwed into the ceiling. Where do you get power, I asked. Solar, Vulture said, still staring at his phone. Don't use it for much, just some lights in our phones. He set his phone down on the counter and started rooting through a produce basket, procuring an onion, which he set in front of me. I started dicing it as Bryn ran outside to turn on the propane for the stove. Where do you get the gas, I asked. We, uh, Vulture demurred. We buy it at Walmart. Only place to get pretty much anything within a two-hour drive. I almost asked them where they got their money, but I figured I knew the answer. Some combination of crime, seasonal labor, and working remote. Same as the rest of us travelers. And the water, I asked. Used a water key. Just turned the city water back on, he said. You can buy basically anything on the internet. Got it shipped to someone in Chicago. Vulture had this grand way of gesturing with every word he spoke, imbuing everything around us with meaning. Bryn came back in, whistling, and swept up the diced onion into a frying pan. She was taller than me, muscled, and handsome as hell. In any other circumstance, I'd probably be in love with both of them already. Instead, they were a mystery to me, a mystery I aimed to solve, for Clay's sake and for my own. The water's not, like, fucked up or something, though. No way, the water's great, Vulture said. I opened my mouth to ask about the mutated deer, but shouting from the street cut me off. 
Bryn set down the spoon. Vulture set down his knife. And we all met each other's eyes. The shout was soon a scream. We ran for the door. Chapter two. I'm going to do two chapters today. Everyone is listening. You're going to get to hear the first two chapters today. That's how, many, that's how much I love you. Yay! Yeah. I, uh, I, I read both of these a while ago uh, and I'm a- eagerly awaiting the third. But I, I think the thing that like I found most enticing about this is like about about the Daniel Kane series in particular mm-hmm. is this kind of like the it, it takes the occult cryptid sort of milieu that I've always loved um, and provide it's the first like procedural I've seen in that kind of genre. Um <laughs> that's that's like punk focused yeah um and there's a lot of it fits really well because a lot of like there's a lot of themes like early death is a really big theme just generally in your writing but also in in this series and like the um uh, what's interesting is kind of taking that that milieu where usually you've got like i don't know a couple of fbi agents or whatever combating these these horrors (laughs) uh that are are kind of inexplicable whereas with 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 this series the horror is always very explicable the thing that's actually frightening is always the way human beings treat each other like yeah. the way people are pushed out and edged out and crushed in the margins of society yeah. like that's that's the actual horror um and the the monsters <laughs> the the occult stuff is uh, the, you know those are those are all, uh, something a little bit harder to define but it's not the as in the real as as in the real world i should say like that's yeah. I, I don't know uh is a unique vibe so no i appreciate that yeah happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride in the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
could just be a me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Chapter 2. The sun sat fat and low on the western horizon. At the top of the street, and the last light of the day, lent everything vivid faded colors. White lambs, dappled with red and purple wounds, paced a circle around both lanes of the street, not twenty yards from where we stood. Geese dodged in and out between them, and a regal goat oversaw the parade. Each creature had only a gaping wound where its ribcage had been, yet they lived. They opened their mouths to bellow and squawk and bleat, but their organless bodies let out only strange rasps. Mixed in with the good summer scents, early summer flowers, a neighbor's barbecue, a campfire farther off still, was the iron of dried blood, the rod of death, the same as the rabbit I'd thought I'd dreamt. A fluttering above me caught my eye. On the power lines, hundreds of birds without rib cages, sparrows and finches, jays and pigeons, cried dry and unholy, an angry jury to the trial below. I was transfixed. I can't say if it was magic or shock. I can't say the two are wholly distinct. I stood on the lawn with my jaw hanging low, staring at the undead spectacle before me. At the center, a man stood, bent over, fighting for breath. He'd been running. He'd been screaming. Hints of white hair peeked out from beneath his sweater's hood, and he wore patched black jeans and the look of a man condemned. For a moment, I thought he was the master of those animals, some punk rock summoner. But everywhere he tried to walk, a barnyard demon blocked his path. He was trying to reach us. Doomsday, he called out, his voice hoarse from screaming. Tell Doomsday, run! I started toward him. Vulture put his hand on my arm. He was filming with his phone. We've got to help, I said. We can't, Vulture said. He was near to tears. Bryn on my other side was as well. They knew this man. They cared about him. Thursday and Doomsday stepped out the front door a few moments after the rest of us, each with an identical handgun. She held hers slack at her side, a dead weight. He kept both hands on the grip, his fingers near the safety. Where the hell had I found myself? Then I saw the deer. The blood-red deer stalked down the hill, the last remnants of the sun at his back, his three antlers in sharp silhouette. The beasts parted for their master, and the old man straightened up, turned to meet his fate. The creature reared onto his back legs and kicked the man in the chest. His ribs broke loud like gunshot and my ears rang from the blow. The man collapsed without a sound and the deer reached his muzzle into his chest and tore out his heart. If I'd had a car, I could have run. I could have been safe somewhere, anywhere, if I'd had a car. The highway was too far to run. And I had visions of that monstrous deer chasing me over the river through the forest, hooves in my back, antlers in my chest, my heart held aloft above my dying eyes. So I didn't run. I stood, in company with Clay's friends, near to paralyzed with fear. The sun's almost gone, Vulture whispered. It's powerless at night. The beasts parted once more, and the hill walked off down the hill, down toward the river and out of sight. The animals plodded slowly after. The birds were still, just then, and the man was still forever. What the ever-loving fuck? I asked. I was sweating. We were back in the living room, but Doomsday was the only one sitting. 
I couldn't figure out if I felt safer near the door and away from these people, or far from it and away from the corpse that lay under a sheet on the patio. Vulture had left with a stranger shovels over their shoulders to dig the man's grave. A small crowd was gathering on the patio. Well-wishers, investigators, the curious? No one told me, and I couldn't figure it out. Bryn put her hand on my shoulder blade. I recoiled from her touch. The creature's name is Ulixi, Doomsday said. What the ever-loving fuck? You knew Clay? You knew his magic? Yeah, I mean, he read tarot and shit. Sometimes he'd wave his hands around, say a couple words about chaos and endless spirits to, like, get our heads straight before we do something stupid or dangerous. You've never seen one of the endless spirits? No, I hadn't seen one of the endless spirits because the endless spirits were fucking metaphors, all right? They're not, Doomsday said. No shit. I started tapping the heel of my palm on my outer thigh, obsessively. It wasn't a nervous habit I'd ever had before. I'd probably never been so nervous. We burned the hell out of dinner, but Thursday came in with teacups on a tarnished silver platter, offered me a cup. I knocked it out of his hand. The porcelain hit the wooden floor and rolled away. If only the floor had been cement, it would have smashed like it should have. After all these years I'd lived outside of polite society, I'd finally fallen through the looking glass. I know you're freaked out, Thursday said. I would be too, but right now... This can't be about you right now. We've got to figure some shit out. No, Doomsday said to her lover. It's all right. The wards will hold. The house is safe. I'm safe. The plush couch welcomed me into its embrace. Bryn sat next to me, and I leaned against her. I let my nervous energy flow out of me into the ground like Clay had taught me. I let a stranger support me. The people in the house, they probably weren't going to hurt me. That's about all I could ever be sure about anyone. Doomsday met my eyes. She was a severe, powerful woman, heavy set, commanding, and beautiful. Not without a certain warmth, a certain flicker of something caring at the edge of her eyes. The deer's name is Ulixi, she told me again. An endless spirit, a demon, a creature of vengeance that walks these woods, swims in this river, watches this town. He's been a guardian spirit until tonight. You worship it, I said. It wasn't a question. I'd say people revere him. There's no worship. Why? Doomsday sipped her tea. We summoned him to kill a man, last year on solstice. To kill a man who'd made himself king. We summoned him to keep anyone from following in that man's footsteps. Desmond, Bryn said. There were about 30 people who moved here at the start, Doomsday said. Two years ago, in early spring. Clay was one of them. After a couple of months when it looked like the place wasn't about to be cleared out by cops, word went around. More of us showed up, mostly from Chicago. It was hard living, and we were cold and hungry and overworked. For some people, it was a free place to live. Other people, a place where anarchist ideals could be put into practice. Some of us came for our own reasons. It worked all right, until Desmond. Motherfucker managed to take power, Thursday said. No one was supposed to be able to do that. That was the whole point. But I don't know, he got himself running the security council, and he got himself running just about everything. He did some good, scared off some dudes who were giving a shit, but he just... Power, man. Power does fucked up things to people. Attracts fucked up people in the first place. So you killed him? I asked. No, we didn't kill him, Thursday said. Then he looked introspective. Well, eventually, yeah. 
But only after it got all Animal Farm up in here and Desmond fucking beat this kid to death. Right there on the bridge, in front of ten people, caved in his skull, tossed the body into the river. Ben, the nicest little crust lord you ever would have met, Vulture said. He slid the door behind, shut behind himself and started to strip off his grave-soiled clothes. You have any idea how hard it is to get your friend's body out of a river? We didn't know what to do, Doomsday said. There weren't enough of us to kick him out. He had too much sway. We could have killed him, but it would have meant civil war. We were going to leave, Thursday said. About half the town was going to leave. Desmond started saying shit about how we couldn't. Like if we left, we couldn't be trusted because we knew too much. If we left, he quote, couldn't guarantee our safety. Clay was the one who talked us out of assassination, Doomsday said. Thursday and I were on our way out the door, guns in hand, before the first light of morning of summer solstice. Almost a year ago now. Clay caught up with us because he was gathering up the only people in town crazy enough to believe in his magic. Rebecca, she was the only other real witch. The man you saw die, his name was Anchor. The three of them came for me. In that early morning fog, we went down to the river right under the bridge. We each had a role. I was the innocent. They blindfolded me. Clay and Rebecca said their piece. Anchor drew blood up from his palm, let it run into the river and onto the stone. When the solstice sun rose, it drew Ulixi into the world, a spirit that turns the predator into the prey. Ulixi hunts the vengeful, the hateful. As Clay put it, Ulixi hunts those who wield power over others. I wouldn't have believed a word that she was saying had I heard it the night before. As she spoke, her voice fell in and out of confidence. Likely, the times she'd told the story before, it had been heroic. Desmond and his crew tried to interrupt us. One of his friends ripped my blindfold off just in time for me to watch Elixi come out of the water. He staggered like a newborn colt, then looked hard at Desmond. Desmond stumbled back, tripped, and Elixi caught him by the throat, dragged him over to the river's edge and held his face beneath the water, ripped open his ribcage, tore out his heart. Desmond's crew fucked off. Elixi stayed. Damn, I said. Polysyllabic expression was sort of beyond me. So, yeah, welcome to Freedom, Iowa. For the past year, we've had this benevolent, murderous spirit watching over us, which is weird, but it's gone fine. Which brings us to tonight, Thursday said. Which brings us to tonight, Doomsday agreed. The last thing Clay said to me when I dropped him off at a truck stop about two months back was that Ulixi would turn on his summoners. I didn't really believe him, not until tonight. There was a rap on the sliding door and I jolted. Vulture slid open the door and had a brief conversation with someone. They're ready, I guess, he reported, then slipped outside. The days stood up, straightened each other's collars and hair, then went out the door. Well, Bryn said, I suppose we're going to a funeral. Dun, dun, dun. There's your... Da, da, da. Not really a cliffhanger, but you know that's what we got. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I find the, uh, the, the, the idea you're playing with here, um, particularly compelling because it's, it's such a, again, it's such like a, the actual conflict here is so grounded. Like a, a significant <laughs> chunk of our audience 
have have dealt with the problem of like self declared security yeah. <laughs> uh, taking power and and radical activists like it's the it's like the easiest way to tell if somebody's a problem <laughs> if they've like appointed themselves security um, and sort of this uh, but also like when you're the 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 difficulty is like it's a double-edged knife, right? Because not only is there the problem of like people putting themselves in a position of power. Um, but when, when you start talking about like, well, how do we get someone out of power? <laughs> how do we like remove the, like, well, that's the you, effectively the same problem, just a different shade of yeah. it. And it, it can go, it's the same dark places. Again, I just love, I love the, I love that all of the, the, the actual, like the, the quote unquote monster in this <laughs> is, isn't, isn't the monster. I yeah. I can definitely see, you know, we talk when we hang out, we talk a lot about Tolkien yeah. and I can see, I can even see a bit of to- like, I can see the Tolkien in this story. Right. Cause like no matter how, how kind of like grand the, 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 the magic we're talking about here, the actual, the actual conflict is always power and how to use it and how it gets used and, yeah. and whether or not it, it ever can be. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I like your stories, Margaret. Yeah, thanks. Well, if people want to hear part two, chapters three and four, they're going to have to wait a whole ass week. Isn't that just cruel? You assholes. How dare you? Wait. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be back next Sunday for the second episode of the It Could Happen Here book club. Or is it the Cool Zone book club? Yeah. What is this called? The Cool Zone Book Club. Cool zone uh, book I, club. That is you. That is your job to figure out. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's the Cool Zone Book Club. Yeah, it rolls off the it tongue. It happens easier. here to your ear earbuds. So check back in next week where we will uh, we'll be doing more Punk X Files. <laughs> I, I will say I think uh, modern David Duchovny would be great uh, in as a, as an elder punk in, in the Daniel Kane series. God, one stick him in there somewhere. One um one like wonderful brief week uh hollywood director uh who's like movies i've seen and shit was like messaging me Mm -hmm. on twitter looking into adapting this and it didn't end up going forward but i had this moment where i was like i want to see this show so badly yeah well i also you could you could you could absolutely have Mulder in this just like Mulder as an adult when he's when his (laughs) his life has finally collapsed around him just like living in a squat masturbating to not even studying pornography the way he always did on the show just like this week oh yeah that guy moved in here like a couple of years ago and he's like he's unsettling as hell but he seems like he might be the guy to go to about this monster situation. (laughs) <laughs> everyone kind of puts up with him even though like mm-hmm. he's not quite sure why he's there <laughs> they're not quite sure why he's there yeah yeah well if you're listening uh, different hollywood director than the last one who mm-hmm. wasn't able to uh you know you can reach me yeah. but everyone else can reach me by waiting a week that's not really reaching yep. me that's just waiting that's what you can do yeah so wait
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.